chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Very familiar story to you, and you'll probably hear it again uh, this season. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I love the reading of Luke. Simple, straightforward, very plain language, simple to understand. And yet it has some of the most far-reaching implications that... that implications in the history of the entire world. I think it's, I think I, I'm constantly fascinated. I'm constantly just, it's an almost an overwhelming fascination. It's the fact that God himself, a child is born on a night just like any other night of the millions of nights in an obscure little village in a corner of the Roman Empire. And God himself became flesh and dwelt among us. I don't know how to actually comprehend all of that, that last statement, that last phrase, God with us. Christmas is such a beautiful thing. I'm not talking about the decorations and and I love that and I'm not talking about the music and I love the music and uh, and the presents and all of those things these are these are just sort of add-ons and things like that they're nice and everything and but the, the, just the majesty the beauty of Christmas Christ coming into the world Christ among us loving us and caring for us I, I'm fascinated when I read from the book of Romans, chapter 5, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. <clears throat> That's another statement that I'm not sure if I can <coughs> totally wrap my, my, my head around that statement. Just like Jesus coming into the world as a, as a little baby. And all of these things, it's such a beautiful thing. The beauty of Christmas, first of all, is the fact that it actually happened. This is a reality. It actually happened. The story is real. Joseph and Mary are real. The shepherds are real. The angels are real. And the baby is real. I think I mentioned this one time. I, at a Christmas program, some little kid in behind, while I was sitting there, I was obviously sitting on the front row, and that some little child behind me was looking at the manger scene in front of the church and everything and just whispered kind of in a loud way to his mother, is the baby real? <laughs> yes, 
Yes. Yes, he's really real. Very real. The real Christmas had been planned by God literally since the beginning of time. Roll back to Genesis chapter 3 and you'll see the planning begin there. And there's been a variety of prophecies declaring that Jesus would be the Messiah. Isaiah said, uh, Isaiah said, A virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And then Matthew uses that very, uh, a similar phrase in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, when, he's, uh, when God is reminding Joseph, he's going to be Emmanuel, God with us. Micah zooms in with a telescopic lens, if you will, and says, but you, Bethlehem, going to be in Bethlehem, Though you are small among the tribes of Judah, out of you will come, will come uh, for me one who will be the ruler over Israel. Micah chapter 5, verse 3. One of the great realities of Christmas is the fact that God keeps his word. He keeps his word and his promises are true. One of the early Greek philosophers was trying to understand the basic meaning of life and, and observe and correctly observe that everything around him was changing. And in fact, he says, I'm even changing. And all of this change is happening and, and, uh, and was asking the question, there must be something that doesn't change, that is stable. God answers that for us. John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there's a word here. I'm going to give you a little bit of a Greek lesson here this morning. Remember this, please. The Word, the Logos of God. When I use that term, when God uses that term, he say, when, he's, when he says, in the beginning was the Logos, it means when that ha something happens. And that's the only word in which you can use that. Something happens. It reminds me of Genesis chapter 1 when, when, God, when God talks about the beginning of the entire, this, this whole thing. God spoke and something happened. This Logos word becomes very personal and, and it means two people. And they're just like this, nose to nose. And they're speaking to one another. The Son and the Father. And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. It's powerful. God speaks and things happen. And that happens today, by the way. That still happens today. God speaks. God is speaking today. In a world that is, to me, is filled with constant change, everything is, seems like it's in flux, and, and all of this stuff, God has come clothed to us in human flesh, and we behold his glory. The second thing of Christmas is, is the way it happened. This is an incredible story. Mary, young, pure, beautiful, Obviously, she is very knowledgeable in the scriptures, and you know this because 
we find her speaking to us in, in, uh, in Luke chapter, uh, in chapter 1. I'm going to just turn my page. My soul magnifies the Lord. She says this in verse 46. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Mary knew something about theology. She just wasn't some young girl here that God swept off the street and says, you're going to be the mother of Jesus. This was a young woman that was filled with the knowledge of God, filled with, I believe, God's spirit. And she speaks. This is a, this is a passage just loaded with, with high-quality theology, if you will. And it comes with the announcement that Gabriel said she'll bear a child. The beauty of Christmas also happened to Joseph. And in my opinion, Joseph is one of these guys that's sort of, boy, he's sort of in the background. Granted, God spoke to him, and granted, God, God bore a witness to him about his, about his betrothed wife having a child and not to be afraid to go forward with this, uh, with this betrothal and an eventual marriage and all of that. But Joseph is a guy also with great faith, tremendous faith, and sensitive to God. He heard God. He responded to God in faith. That had to be faith. That wasn't just something, well, okay, I'll do this. I don't know a thing about it. I'm telling you, Joseph was a man of faith and sensitive to the Lord and listened to God and responded to God. The beauty of what happened and all of this, even Caesar, nothing beautiful about him or anything, but he put the whole thing in motion by requiring a taxation rule and everything and uh, people had to go to their birthplace of origin. There's a beauty in the manger giving us a picture of the lion of the tribe of Judah lying in a place where lambs would eat. A stable is a place where everybody can get to Jesus. Everybody. The beauty is the fact that people from all walks of life, we see the wise men with, the, with their wealth and their entourage and all of this, and we see the shepherds with very little, if anything. But they met Jesus. And there's a place for him. And that's the way I think God works in our life, folks. There are many things that happen to us, and sometimes those things are hard to understand. And, and, I, and it's a, it's, I get frustrated sometimes as a pastor. Sometimes, you know, you look at things that happen to people, and you say, Lord, why did that happen? You know, I just ask that question. Why, why, is, why is that going on? And I don't have an answer. I wish I did. I wish I had the complete understanding. This is why it's happening. This is all the cause and all of this. But I do know this, that in all things, God is working for good. I may not understand it today. I may not even understand it tomorrow. But I know this, that in all things, God is working for good. In all things. And I accept that by faith. It is not important for me necessarily. I mean, I'd like to understand it. And in our humanity, our reasoning demands it. But when it boils all down, God is at work. God is doing something. 
and he's working in my life. And I accept that. I believe there's another beauty of Christmas in the fact that God planned everything. God plans these things. You know what, folks, I think sometimes we get, a, we get things a little bit cockeyed with things and think that if it's not planned, it must be really God. And I've found that God plans everything. God doesn't just sort of roll the dice, if you will. I use that, probably a bad analogy. But he doesn't just leave it up to chance. He plans these things. We have to look behind the curtain on this particular stage and look into the heart of God who initiated this first Christmas. It's important because there are a lot of people who have some very incorrect views of God. Some think of God as sort of a heavenly policeman with a whistle and a billy club looking for the opportunity. If we, we step out of line one fraction of an inch, bang, he's going to club us, nail us. That's not God. That's not God. That's not the God of this Bible, anyway. To others, he may appear to be a parent, a father figure that did not model the character of God all that well. And we look at our, there's people that come into our church that didn't have a good experience with their father or anything like that. And they, and they sort of look at God in the same light. But that's not the God of this Bible. That's not him either. Some people see God as a grand old man, <clears throat> sort of sitting in a rocking chair, dozing off most, most of the time. And, uh, you know, kind of lets people do whatever they want to do. And um, not too worried about it, because after all, he's just some old duffer. Some old guy in a rocking chair. That's not God either. I tell you what, God is very active. Some people look at God as absolute perfection and thinks that, well, if I'm not in 100% harmony and 100% doing everything 100% right, then I'm in trouble. All of these are inadequate. They're true, untrue pictures of God, of this Bible. The Bible tells me that God is love, God is joy, God is goodness, God is grace, God is gentleness, God is blessing. And all of these things are found in the Christmas story. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. And I'm just totally convinced, folks, that if we desire, <coughs> if we desire to in some way walk with God, the blessing of God will flow into our lives. The love of God, the joy of God, the work of God. The fourth thing. is the people that are a part of this. Have you ever thought about this? You know what? I caught this, and boy, this was just perfect for this message because I've been working on this, and I think it was, I don't know if it was, uh, I don't remember if it was Friday night. I, I don't know when it was. It doesn't matter. I caught the last 30 minutes of Apollo 13. <clears throat> I'm kind of fascinated by that movie. And it talks about the lunar mission back in 1970 that basically went pretty much all wrong. And a lot of things happened to that. A manned mission to the moon. I can remember this pretty well because I was, uh, I was just getting out of college or almost getting, well, I don't know as I remember it all that much. 
I got to be honest with you, I was about ready to get out of college and I was getting married. I'm not sure what I remember from that day. I had to read it in a book. Good thing the movie came out. <laughs> yeah, I really didn't understand much of anything. My life was pretty much upside down and I took me two months to get back on the ground again. People work frantically trying to find solutions to help these three astronauts get back on Earth safely. And they did. God knows something about this. Because he knows too that we are lost and that we would die an eternal death. And so he launched a rescue mission. <coughs> it was God who took the initiative. It was an operation to save us from our sin. And Jesus came into this world literally to seek and to save that which is lost. That's me. And that's you. And you. And you. That rescue mission was for me. Because I wasn't going to make it to heaven. Because my sin had filled my life. And it had put a stop to anything of heaven. This is not some kind of a theological viewpoint or anything, but God wants to, to know this personally. Listen to me, Christmas means that God has committed himself to me personally to see that my life gets a new life. And that's why God said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. That's good news, isn't it? No matter what we see around us, no matter even what happens to us, he says, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to walk away from you. I'm not going to throw in the towel on your life. <clears throat> Maybe just because there was something went awry in your, your situation, I'm not walking away from you. You're mine. I came across a wonderful story that I believe relates to Christmas and came from Guidepost Magazine. And I don't recall uh, what year this was that I read this. It wasn't all that long ago, but it was about a little boy named Wally. Now this kid, uh, this, uh, this is a child that had some issues. He was a nine-year-old boy, but he was still in the second grade. He should have been in the fourth grade, but he was a second grader. And obviously he was struggling in school and as a second grader, but a nine years old, he was big for his, for his grade size. Wally liked to do the other th the, all the things the other kids did, but a lot of the other kids wouldn't let him. And he still hoped they would let him play though. Wally was somewhat of a protector of the underdog. And when the older boys would chase away the young ones, Wally would oftentimes stand up for him, because he's a bigger kid. The school was going to do a Christmas program, and the play director decided to assign him the role of the innkeeper, thinking that he didn't have too many lines, and, you know, he could probably make this thing work. And so anyway, the big night came, the auditorium was full of people and everything. Wally was just absolutely amped up with excitement. 
And the time came for Joseph to appear with Mary to the door of the inn. And he knocked on the door and Wally the innkeeper appeared. Said with a very brusque kind of a rough voice, what do you want? And Joseph said, we're seeking lodging for the night. And Wally says, seek it somewhere else. There's nothing here. He was doing good. Joseph pleaded, we've been asking everywhere. And we've traveled a long way and my wife is expecting a baby. There's no room in this inn, said Wally. So keep on going. So Joseph pleaded, isn't there some kind of a little corner in this place where we could stay? And there was a long process. And you could kind of hear, and I think the audience claimed that they could kind of hear the prompter off stage saying, no, no. <laughs> and Wally finally said, be gone, get out of here. And with that, Joseph put his arm around Mary and and the two of them started to move away. Anyway, Wally stayed looking at them at the door, watching this forlorn couple <clears throat> leave, and his mouth kind of dropped open, his brow was creased, and tears welling up in his eyes. And You know, he's kind of the protector of those that need protecting. And suddenly, the whole Christmas pageant sort of took on a whole different kind of a, a thing. And Wally said, don't go. Bring Mary back here. She can have my room. And I leave that with you today. She can have my room. And that's the beauty of Christmas. You can have my room. And... The question, is there room in your heart for Jesus? You know, folks, we are the innkeepers. You and me, every person listening to my voice this morning, all of the kids and the kids' church, they're all, we're all innkeepers. And we have to ask the question to ourselves, is there room in my life for Jesus? Is there room <clears throat> or is it all about me, or just what is it? Is there room in my life for Jesus? And I hope you say, yes, there's room. And it's not just saying, well, we're going to move a box or two out of the way, and you can squeeze you in along with the other stuff. Make room. Clear the deck. Widen the aisle. And allow there to be plenty of room for Jesus in your life. Janet, would you come back, please? Maybe there's people here today, and I, I don't know. Maybe there's people here today, and the reality of Christmas is this. You've heard this story many times. You've heard this dozens of times. Scores of times. But you're the innkeeper this morning. You're the person who has to open the door. You have to change the story. It's not the stable, it's my heart. Will you open the door to your heart? Will you open the door to your life? Your life, not just 
here, I'll put Jesus in my pocket here. And I'll, and, and I'll wear him on Sunday. I want you to open the door to your life. It's not wear him on Sunday. It's cause him to allow him to absolutely, totally transform your life. We talk about makeovers and do-overs. It's exactly what God wants to do. A do-over. And I've got to believe there are people sitting in here this morning. And on a cold, cold, cold day, God wants to do a warm, wonderful thing in your life. And that's to give you the do-over that can change your life. Change your, because right now, I, I just feel like there's somebody here that you're, you're on a trajectory that you know it's not right. And if you'd walk up to me and talk to me, I would know it's not right, and others may know it. But all I'm saying is, get it right. God will help you in this. God brings forgiveness. God, bring, God, God brings a new life into your life. So I want you to pray with me. Father, today, so many people today in this culture, in this society, we're loaded up with so much stuff. Sometimes we load ourselves up and what that causes us is to lose focus. We lose focus on God. Father, I just think there's some people here this morning, they need God. It's that simple. They need God to do a fresh work in their life. They really need a do-over. They need a restart. And today it's the day. It's the moment. Father, like that innkeeper, Wally, you can have my room. Father, will you help somebody to say that this morning? Deep in their heart, deep in their life. Say, dear Jesus, you can have my room. Come into my life. I need a fresh start this morning. I need that do-over. I've done some stuff and lived a life that <coughs> to a lot of people may seem kind of confusing. Father, I just, I need to walk out of this place with a fresh start. Jesus, come into my heart, my life. Forgive me. Forgive my carelessness and my sin. Forgive me for whatever's got me to this place. Forgive me for that. I believe you're the Savior and Lord of my life. And when I walk out these doors into the cold air, I'm going to be living a new life, a life for God, a transformed life. And Father, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.